You remember how I told you this morning about Stephanie showing me her watch and laughing that for a week she was told she didn't exceed the decibel level that could hurt your hearing? After church this morning, I had like three warnings on my watch about that. All I can think is I need to blame the preacher, whoever he is. But uh, apparently I put myself in danger, I guess, this morning. Love like Jesus. That represents the theme of the series that we began on Sunday evenings last week. And it flows from our vision for 2023 to love God and love others better. We want to define and demonstrate God's love so we can detail how we can reflect his love by giving him space to love others through us. Growing in love necessitates that we build some positive character in our lives. And still, at the same time, it also means that we need to get rid of some things that will hinder love. Or more definitively, we need to yield to the Spirit so He can remove some things that will hinder love. Let me show you a biblical example from 1 John 4 before we get to the message. For those of you who have not been with us, our adult small group on Wednesday evenings has spent a few weeks studying God's love in detail from 1 John chapter 4 and will continue to be there for several more weeks. And we'd love to have you join us if you have not done so. On Wednesday evenings at 6.30. But I want you to look here at 1 John 4.18. Here's an example of something that the Holy Spirit will remove from our lives. That might hinder love if it remains. 1 John 4.18 it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love fear and God's love cannot exist in the same place they just can't you cannot have fear existing coexisting with God's love Similarly, Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 teaches us something that cannot exist alongside God's love. We looked at this parable from the perspective of that servant who owed an incredible debt to the king. And it represents the incredible debt of our sin before a holy God. But then that king forgave his servant the entire debt. And it represents the greatness of the love and grace of God that forgives us all our sin. And what a wonderful truth that that is. <coughs> Leading up to that, Jesus showed his disciples 
his desire and design for them and later his church to live in forgiveness. Three times as the rabbis taught and seven times as uh, Peter suggested were insufficient to meet God's want for his children today. Jesus does not desire us to account forgiveness, but to live forgiveness. And he illustrated that with the parable in this text. He showed the depth of man's sin through the servant's debt and the greatness of God's love through the forgiveness of the king. But as we return to Matthew 18, let's pick up where we stopped with the parable in verse 28. But the same servant went out. So who is the same servant? It's the one who's been forgiven. So let's call him the forgiven servant, okay? You got that? He's the forgiven servant. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. We're going to call him, because we'll see this, the un forgiven servant okay found his fellow servant which owed him an hundred pence and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying pay me that thou owest and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying have patience with me and I will pay thee all and he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Then I want you to jump down to verse 33. He comes before the king and the king now speaks to him and says this. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? After vividly illustrating the depth of my sin... And the greatness of God's love and forgiveness, Jesus identified the still fallen and still flawed character of the forgiven servant. The forgiven servant who had been forgiven so greatly did not respond to his fellow servant the way the king responded to him. And can I pause for just a moment and remind you of this biblical truth? Forgiven does not equal flawless. You may be a saved child of God. You've placed your faith and trust in Christ for salvation. And because of that, you have been given as a gift from God forgiveness of sin, salvation, eternal life in heaven. You are no longer condemned in your sin before a holy God, but rather you are justified. You are declared righteous. You are forgiven and you are on your way to heaven. But friend, being forgiven does not mean that you are flawless. You're still a sinner. So am I. You're forgiven despite the reality that you're flawed. The righteousness of Christ has been applied to your account. You're justified. You're declared righteous by God in heaven's courtroom. He sees you through the veil of the righteousness of Christ. 
However, right here in this world, you are still prone to sin. And so am I. The reality is that we all find ourselves in the place of the forgiven servant in this parable. There are characteristics that we need to see before we dig further into applications. Again, two two different people. We have the unforgiven servant and the forgiven servant. Here's what I want you to see first. The unforgiven servant was a fellow servant to the forgiven servant. You got that? They were fellow servants. What does that mean? They had the same master. They served the same king. And if you carry out the the illustration to its conclusion, then you have to recognize that both the forgiven servant and the unforgiven servant are what kind of people? Saved. Believers, They're both servants of the same king. They both answer to him. They both serve him. And remember, this is not ultimately about financial indebtedness. But it's about sin, doing wrong. The servant who owed the king a great debt had wronged. He had sinned against the king. The unforgiven servant who owes a debt to the forgiven servant. It's not ultimately about money. It's the unforgiven servant has sinned against the forgiven servant. He's hurt him. He's done wrong. It's unfortunate, isn't it? But the reality is that sometimes those who hurt us are fellow believers. Isn't that true? It's not just lost people that hurt us, that sin against us, that do us wrong. Sometimes we are hurt by a fellow servant, a fellow child of the king, by another brother or sister in Christ. Then I want you to see this. While not even comparable anywhere near to the debt owed by the forgiven servant to the king... The debt owed by the unforgiven servant to the forgiven servant was still a significant sum. How much was it? 100 pence. In that day, 100 pence was equivalent to a third of a person's annual salary, the average person. That's fairly significant. Nowhere near what we owe to our king because of our sin debt. But this still represents a wrong that is fairly significant. Sometimes the hurts that you and I experience at the hands of others are substantial. They're profound and they're life changing. But remember, what is our tendency? Our tendency is to minimize our own sin While at the same time now maximizing the sin of others. That's one of the tendencies that sin causes in our lives. 
We minimize our own and maximize the sin of others. And then I'll show you this. The forgiven servant. What did he do? The Bible says he took his fellow servant by the throat. The word literally has the idea of to throttle. Literally, it gives the picture that the forgiven servant takes his fellow servant by the throat and is strangling and shaking him, saying, pay me what you owe me. And when he doesn't and can't, and isn't it ironic that the plea for mercy is the exact same plea the forgiven servant offered his king? Be patient and I'll pay thee all. But the forgiven servant says, no, and takes him and throws him into prison. Under Roman law, that was his legal right. Man's law said that he had the right to do that to his fellow servant who owed him this debt. But can I remind you that everything that man says is right is not right? Even though man's law said that he was justified, his behavior was not right. What produced this response from the forgiven servant? Why? When he has been forgiven so great a debt, does he treat a fellow servant this way. <clears throat> Through the teaching of Jesus in this parable, let's discover four practical ident- activities that will help us expel resentment. Do you or have you ever struggled with resentment? Resentment is a feeling, it's defined this way, a feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will at something regarded as a wrong, insult, or injury. It's also been explained as a complex, multi-layered emotion that has been described as a mixture of disappointment, disgust, anger, and fear that is often elicited in the face of insult and injury. WebMD, many of you are probably familiar with it. If you've ever been experiencing some type of physical ailment or symptom, you might have gone to something like WebMD and used their symptom checker. You, You type in various symptoms and they'll give you a list of 49 different ailments From death to breathing, you know, just everywhere in between. They seek to provide accurate and helpful information, and they've actually produced an article on resentment. And in the article, seven signs of resentment are provided, and they are recurring negative feelings. Over and over again, just having negativity, especially around an individual that the resentment is directed toward. The inability to stop thinking about the event, mulling over the event that caused the resentment again and again and again. The uh, fear uh, or avoidance. 
fear of putting your trust in someone again or avoiding relationship, deep relationship, a tense relationship, not just with the one toward whom the resentment is directed, but but relationships in general, feeling invisible or inadequate as a person and the inability to let go of anger, just holding on to anger and struggling to get over it. Do you know that every time we experience hurt, we have the opportunity to develop resentment? Every time someone does you wrong, every time someone hurts you, every time someone betrays you, every time someone says something that is, that is off color, that, that pierces, even if it's unintentional, every time that someone breaks a promise. Every time that someone speaks to you in a way that is demeaning or insulting, every time that you experience hurt, you have the opportunity to develop resentment. Over the past several weeks, since we started serving coffee every Sunday morning, I've seen that we have many coffee drinkers. And I love coffee. Hot, cold, iced, different flavor of syrups and creamers with cold foam or whipped cream. I love it. However, there is one form of coffee I have absolutely no desire to drink. And that is bitter coffee. Now, if you're not a coffee drinker, you probably think that all coffee tastes bitter. Okay, anybody like that? Yeah, a couple of you. You take any type of coffee and it's just, it's downright bitter. I I might drink it and it's weak to me, but to you it's bitter. But for someone who likes coffee and may even be called a coffee snob perhaps, there is a, a difference between coffee that is smooth and coffee that is bitter. And I just don't want anything to do with bitter coffee. In life... There are times when someone offers us a bitter cup. No, I don't mean a bitter cup of coffee. There are times in life through events and circumstances, experiences with our fellow man, that we are hurt, offered a bitter cup. It's that idea that any time we experience hurt, we have the opportunity to develop resentment. It's like being offered a bitter cup. We shouldn't take the cup. We know we shouldn't take it. We shouldn't drink it. But sometimes we do. And when we do, resentment and bitterness poison our lives. And here's the reality. Loving God and loving others as God wants us to and growing in that area of our lives demands that we add some positive traits. But it also necessitates that we remove some negative traits from our lives. And one of the things that we need to get rid of, one of the things we need to expel if we're going to love God and love others more is resentment. 
Here in this parable, Jesus presents a servant who is forgiven the incredible debt of his sin. And that same servant goes out and sees a fellow servant who's done him wrong, who has hurt him, who's betrayed him, who's gossiped about him. You fill in the blank however you want. And he cannot let it go. He couldn't forgive. How can we expel resentment? Let me give you four activities that we can practice to expel resentment. Number one is this. Remember that God knows all about it. When you've been hurt, and it may be a hurt that you're carrying on You're holding on to it from a long time ago. And you still deal with resentment over that hurt. It may be an experience from this past week that you're still angry about. And you're having trouble letting go of the anger. Whatever it is. If you're holding on to resentment or find yourself... Through life, just struggling over and over again to let go, to to deal with the hurt. Remember that God knows all about it. Do you know that one of the painful experiences of hurt is that when you've been hurt and you're dealing with it, it is discouraging when you feel that others don't know the whole story. They may see your anger, they may see your hurt, they may see your frustration, and they don't know the whole story. They don't know what's happened. They don't know the conversation that that was so hurtful. They don't know the activity of someone else that was so hurtful. And they just don't know the whole story. And they wonder, why why is he so angry? Why is she so frustrated? And it can be actually discouraging that someone else doesn't understand the depth and the experience of your hurt. You've been hurt, you're suffering, and no one else knows what you're going through. No one else knows what someone else has said or done. It feels like a burden you're carrying all by yourself. But the scripture reveals to us that there is one who knows all about it. God knows the whole story. He sees it all. He feels it all. Even if no one else does. He does. This comes out so beautifully in the 38th Psalm. You can take time on your own to read it. It's about 22 verses. But in Psalm 38, it reveals a man whose heart was broken. And while experiencing a broken heart, he speaks of his solitude, of his loneliness in that place. In that passage, you find that his enemies set traps for him and talked about him behind his back to hurt him. That's in verse 12. Not only that, but he says that those who loved him 
His friends and family alike distanced themselves from him. He says they stand aloof from my sore. What is that? They've distanced themselves from him and his hurt. He's experiencing a broken heart. It wasn't just about what his enemies were doing. It was about what his friends and his family weren't doing. He was lonely in his hurt. This same man, going through that experience, also said that God knew his pain. That God heard his cry. That God became his hope. That while friends and family distanced themselves from him, God came near to him and stood as his deliverer. Maybe you found yourself there, dealing with a broken heart over some hurt, some pain that's been brought by someone else. And you feel that you're carrying it all alone and no one else knows the story. And that becomes even more discouraging. Whatever you have faced, are facing or will face, remember God knows all about it. Resort to him, run to him, rest in him. Number two, I want you to see this. To expel resentment, remember that God knows all about it. Secondly, recognize that we will all stand before God. I want you to think about two scriptures. Maybe jot them down to read them again later, but just listen to them. Romans 14, 10 through 12, and then 1 Peter 1, 21 through 24. Romans 14, 10 through 12, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. First Peter 1, 21 through 24. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, Leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed." These passages reveal that everyone will stand before God and that God will judge righteously, putting all right that has been wrong. Now, what should I take from these passages related to my hurt and the bitter cup? We have to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Peter said it this way, in the midst of the hurt, he committed himself to God who judges righteously. Here's what you and I have to do when we experience hurt, if we're going to expel resentment. We have to be willing and able to trust God with our hurt. 
Can I ask you tonight? Are you willing to trust God with your hurt? We're, we're re- willing to trust him with our eternity. We might be willing in different areas to trust him with our daily lives and living. Are we willing to commit our hurt to him? It takes strength. It takes enablement from the spirit. It takes a level of deep trust to go to God in our pain, to go to God in our anger, to go to God in our hurt, knowing that he knows all about it. Knowing that he allowed it. And say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm angry. God, this is painful. But I'm willing to give it to you knowing that at some point you're going to take this wrong and make it right. By the way, friends, do you understand it may be before it may be when we all finally stand before Christ that that happens? Can you trust him with that? If we're going to expel resentment, we need to recognize we'll all stand before Christ. We'll all give an answer that includes the one who's done you that wrong. And you need to be willing to trust God with the hurt. And let him handle it. Number three. Reflect on the forgiveness you have through Christ. I've shared this story before and I want you to listen to it again. And I'm going to highlight a very specific part. Corey Ten Boom worked against the Nazis in World War II, hiding Jews in her home. When she was caught, she was sent to a concentration camp. She was stripped of her dignity. She saw her father and her sister Betsy die and suffered more at other people's hands than you and I could, could likely imagine. And this is precisely why her encounter with forgiveness is so memorable. After the war and all that, many of you know, she traveled to many parts of the world, sharing her story, her testimony of how God worked in her life and grew her through the experience. And here's what she wrote about a particular experience. It was, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Floorline, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. 
he, his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Listen to this next statement. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Now listen carefully. Forgiveness can be challenging. It can be difficult. But as she penned, it is not on our forgiveness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. To expel resentment, reflect on the forgiveness you have through Christ. What does that mean? If that servant had stopped And rather than in his own strength and resources, in his own thinking and mind, forgiven that servant, if he had instead reflected on the forgiveness he had received from the king and extended the forgiveness of the king to his fellow servant, he would have found what he needed to forgive. And the same is true of you and me. Think about it for a moment, would you? Why reflect on the forgiveness you have through Christ? Because it is the power of Christ to forgive you that will enable you to forgive another. You won't do it through your goodness and the power of your love. But you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Look at Matthew 18 verse 33 of our text again. The king asked the servant. So, excuse me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Compassion and pity in that verse are the same original word. You should have had compassion even as I had compassion. You should have had pity even as I had pity. They're the same word. What was the king? What was Jesus trying to drive Home. It is not in your goodness. It is not in your love. It is not in your forgiveness that you can do this, but it's in his. Think about it. God forgave you everything. He loves you through everything. His grace supplies for everything. 
And all that you and I are to do is reflect to others what we have received from him. It's not your forgiveness, your goodness, your love. It's his. To expel resentment, reflect on the forgiveness you have through Christ. And then fourthly, let me just simply give you this. Refuse to drink the bitter cup. You're going to be hurt. People are going to offer you the bitter cup. Determine beforehand. You're not going to drink it. The battle is often fought in one before the battle ever begins. So often we get into trouble because we're not prepared. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 6? Wait till the day that, the, that Satan is throwing his fiery darts your way and then do what you need to do? No. Put on the whole armor of God. So that when Satan begins throwing the fiery darts, you'll already be prepared. You'll already have what you need to defend yourself. You'll already have what you need to fight back. Prepare beforehand. Determine that you'll not take the bitter cup and drink it when it's offered. If you're holding on to resentment from some past hurt, you find yourself prone to resentment when you experience hurt or deal with with those things, determine to expel resentment. Remember that God knows all about it. Recognize that we'll all stand before Christ. Trust him with your hurt. Reflect on the forgiveness you have through Christ and refuse to drink that bitter cup. If you know Jesus Christ is your savior, We need to determine to expel resentment towards others through reflecting compassion to others. Not our own goodness, love, and forgiveness, but his. We have received from him. We should reflect it to others. Take what he has given and extend it to others. He's forgiven you everything. He loves you through everything. He supplies grace for everything. Reflect what you receive to all around you. And then if you don't know Jesus Christ, listen to me carefully. Jesus forgives everything. You cannot and you are not too bad for his forgiveness and salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? Believe in him. He'll save you. Maybe you're here tonight or watching by way of the internet. You cannot be nor are you too bad for him. He forgives everything. No matter how great that sin debt is, he will forgive if you'll come and believe in him.